come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your poltergeist, Kinsey. I'm your poltergeist, Donna. And I'm your poltergeist, Mac. And this week, we watched the brand spanking new Jordan Peele film, Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so let's, uh, yeah, uh, just I'm going to say it ahead of time right now. If you haven't seen it, we're going to be in spoilers so fast. And this is a film you do not want any spoilers in. So I'm giving this PSA early, even for me. Um, we'll do a, let's do a quick round of, uh, did you like it? Did you not like it? And where you saw it at, if you saw it at someplace different than normal. I saw it with two of my favorite people in the world at a theater in Tulsa. We splurged on the IMAX seats. Um, I enjoyed it very much as is typical of the previous, uh, Peel film films. That's hard to say. Peel films I've seen. It's kind of got some layers and you're not always kind of getting what you're seeing right away, but I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's a good film. It's a good film, you guys. It's a good film. Good film. All right. Well, I, uh, I, I saw it on Thursday and we, we did the same thing by happenstance that uh, our, cause when usually we go to one particular theater and they were having technical issues so we went to IMAX and so I actually saw it on the IMAX screen with one of our good friends and yeah it's it's a good it's a good watch it was yeah I yeah ditto what Donna said but yeah I, I liked it a lot um I liked it I think my I'll be the only slightly dissenting opinion in that I I liked it but I think I liked it least of all three of Peel's films and I think we'll get into the specifics on that when we get to real poll and quote. Um, I, I saw it in IMAX as well, which was unusual for me. I'm not usually one to go see it in IMAX, but all the advertisements said, oh, shot with IMAX cameras and, and that sort of thing. And little did we know that that was actually, you know, part of the, you know, end game to destroy the monster. Um, <laughs> I, I saw it in IMAX and I got to tell you, uh, a lot of my notes here are about my observations of my fellow moviegoers, because I had some wild times at that screen. I did four o'clock on Thursday, like the first available screening we have. And I think I decided I love seeing movies on a big screen, but I may be done with public movie audiences. Here are some observations. Guy right in front of me, uh, probably 70 years old, has a full, it shows up late has a full-ass hardcover book with him. And I'm like, what the fuck are you going to do with that? And then as the trailers are playing, he pulls out a phone and starts texting on it. Like, my my dude, have you heard about Kindle? Uh, <laughs> there were uh, two guys that all showed up even after him who couldn't wrap their head around the alphabet, apparently, because they just couldn't figure out what row they were in. Like, we're in row I. Well, Okay, this is K, and this is J, and, I, and I'm like, guys, I'm I'm trying to enjoy the Avatar two trailer for the nineteenth time. Can you can you figure your shit out? 
these guys will come back later. Um, and so then I realized I'm also part of the problem. I've got my Galaxy Note 20 here. And for notes, I'm pulling out my, my S Pen to jot quick, you know, screen off notes to be as unbothersome to people as possible. And I accidentally hit the God darn it little button on the pen and started playing the last thing I listened to on audio at apparently full volume. Wait, wait, it, we're laughing already. And let, let's guess what it was. <laughs> the audio book of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> oh, oh, Macula. Oh. In that crowd, you should have seen the scrambling I'm doing. Like, oh, God, don't say anything terrible. Oh, shit. Oh, no, don't use that word. And then we leave the movie. And there's this guy, maybe a couple of years older than me. He takes one look at me and, and sees some kind of fellow traveler. And we're walking out and he's kind of walking out, you know, perpendicular to me. And he said, and he says, and this is why I think it, this is going to be a controversial film for Peel. Um, he, 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 does, he turns to me and says, I can't believe I paid money for that shit. And I was like, I don't, I do not know you, sir. This is not a time you, you listen to my podcast to hear my opinions. That's, that's, that's where we go there. And I kind of shrugged and I said, well, I liked it. And Beavis and Butthead, sure enough, were about 15 feet in front of us, whipped around like I said something about their mother, but didn't understand who had said the last thing and beelined for the other guy going like, you like that movie? That ending was terrible. And I just, <laughs> I, I zipped the other direction and left. It was like a Twitter conversation in real life. It was the wildest thing I've ever seen. So yeah, I liked the movie. <laughs> so you were in the screening before I was, because we did uh, 720 on Thursday night there. So um, did not have those shenanigans at all. So, <laughs> oh, Mac. <laughs> but back to this movie and not the real life Twitter conversation that Mac experienced. For those of you that don't know what this is about, our good, good buddies at IMDb want you to know that the residents of a lonely gulch in inland California bear witness to an now, uncanny... this is a highly professionally filmed documentary about the dangers of feeding predators. I mean, really, they could have saved several million dollars by just putting up a don't feed the bears sign. Really, really. But, but really, though? But Donna... I mean, I enjoyed the film, but really just don't feed the bears. It's a bad idea. Donna, my love, light of my life. It's a running joke now for me how many times I'm going to see people get bucked by a buffalo because they think they can pet the fuzzy cow. So yeah, don't pet the buffaloes either. Yeah. Don't don't do that. So either. I, I like what you're saying, but, but this is yeah. But really though. It's Jaws 5, except the shark is a sentient parachute. Also, there's a chimp. <laughs> Mac, I'm just going to go lay in a stockpile of keyboards and just set in a purchase order. Okay? <laughs> God yeah, damn it. Can you just wait until I swallow the coffee? 
Okay, just. I will okay. not. I cannot. I shall not. But the timing, the timing, for God's sake. You, you see me. We're on Zoom. You see me lift the coffee cup. You could just. God damn it, Mac. Man, I feel like we are firing on all cylinders this morning. Like all of us, it's just like boom, boom, boom. Like I'm here for all of it. If so, you buy in bulk, it'll be cheaper. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, and I and no more of these fancy gaming keyboards. I just can't afford them. Nope. The programmable <laughs> keys. I mean, my whole my whole timing is just is just gonna be ruined now. I'm sorry, I didn't heal you in time, Mister Tank. It's Max's fault. I will give you his email. Yeah. You can discuss it with him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He had to make a joke. I mean, Mac does show he up did. with a joke. Compulsively. Yeah. <laughs> Com- yeah. All right. All right. So, yeah, I had an epiphany yesterday about what the parachute bear represented that I will share. All right. Well, I think that is a good cue to well, let's jump into Nope. And, yeah. I, I told my fellow polterguides <laughs> that we should just drop everything and start recording instantly yesterday because i was going to flowers of algernon this shit and i was going to be like the chimp was angry today but that didn't happen so yay and and if i wasn't at that moment that message posted already recording one of my other 17 podcasts at that moment i would have been all on board (laughs) yeah i look down the mics are live and i'm like well i can't right now So you want it? You want to hear it? You want to hear it? Sure. The parachute bear is capitalism. The parachute bear is capitalism because um, Steve from Walking Dead was feeding things to capitalism, was was sacrificing the Hayward's livelihood to capitalism for his own life. And and OJ was just sacrificing his own life to capitalism. And and Emmy was was endangering her own life for money because of capitalism. And Angel was just was just giving all of his joy and all of his life to capitalism because capitalism is eating us, all of us. There, I said it there capitalism i have not seen that i I will extend that point with a transitional thought and then one of the big themes i found in the film Mm -hmm. um there was a great article in the hollywood report i don't know what no no it was a gawker review of um uh the russo brothers new movie the gray man that's on netflix uh, talking about how it costs $200 million and we'll never know the actual economic value of it because Netflix just doesn't share its value-added transactions and that sort of thing. Um, but they're having subscriber problems and all that sort of thing. But Zoom cost, by some reports, $70 million and will blow that through the water in a couple of weeks. I think it's also... So I think, yes, the, the point about capitalism is good, but I think it's also about the value of older ways to produce entertainment. Okay. Um, yeah. 
analog versus digital. Like all films are shot digitally, projected digitally, and, and that sort of thing. And um, in this case, they're using, I, I know Peel use actual film to film the camera. And if you had the right venue, you could probably see this in 35 millimeter or 70 millimeter. Um, but uh, there, there are slight, slight points about the value of movie making in, a, in, in an era that's just past gone by. Like the mirror ball for the digital effects spooks the horses. It should really spook everybody because it's a weird alien looking thing. Uh, you know, Land Quint uh, brings a hand cranked IMAX camera to the final battle, which I thought that's hey, you came up with a hand cranked IMAX camera. Christopher Nolan's like, oh, really? <laughs> um, but the, the shot that sticks with me is the long pan on the set of was it Gordy's Home is the name of the sitcom? Yeah. Yeah, uh, showed a, a beautiful line of pristine Panavision 35 millimeter cameras all in a row. And Peel makes this point that, you know, as recently as, say, 25 years ago, even complete trash was shot on film. Now, nothing is. Hardly anything is. Like, I, Christopher Nolan and Jordan Peel may be the only holdouts in working on working on film for the hope of projecting on film. I think Tarantino, when the drugs tell him to, I think he dabbles in working in film when he can. Yeah. Or he may just have a, just a love letter to it. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, I'll include him in that. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about him at that moment. You're absolutely right. But Because yeah. of Hateful Eight. Like that's mainly the one I'm thinking of where he made, you know, it's like, hey, I shot it on 35 millimeter. This is yeah. how I would like you to see it. You know, I, I, I'm also thinking of Inglorious Bastards, where the whole the whole end battle, it just like this one, where it's like sort of film based that plays in the plot. Uh, in Inglorious Bastards, the danger of film stock and its explosiveness is what kills everybody. I um I made a point of not reading a lot of. Re I started to, and then I was like, nope, we're recording. Nope, we're recording tomorrow. <laughs> I I want. I want this to be my own stuff. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I read before I was like, oh, stop. Also talked about the filming of black bodies that so there's so many. Yeah. Because of course, that is one of his themes is, you know, he is definitely coming at everything from the from the black perspective i mean one of course he is and two that is something he is really trying to put out there he's got a very unique voice he's got a very unique platform and good for him for doing that um so that is one of the things he's trying to emphasize is how black bodies are viewed and filmed um of course starting with that very famous little sequence of film with the black jockey on a horse um, but um, that is one thing that that is being emphasized there is the filming of black people, uh, which while I'm thinking of it, that sequence of the black jockey on a horse is repeated there in the end with OJ running from the um, predator on on Lucky there at the very end, which was neat. Yeah, I was I was like you, Donna. I didn't read anything before, and I really haven't read anything after. And I mean, that has definitely been 
a choice, a very difficult choice because of the age we live in. Yeah, but it's uh, hard. <laughs> Uh, the one thing I the only thing I read the only thing I read about Nope was a review of the Gray Man, so I, I feel pretty good. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's pretty yeah, that's pretty good. I I will say I the only thing I I have seen in it it's something Jordan Peele had said about being important with this film to film Black Joy, and yes. I think, mm. and I think you see that just with the brother and sister and how they interact and just that just hanging out and just being themselves with each other and which is a little bit annoyed a little you know a lot of love little you know little back and forth but so I thought that was I thought that was great while I'm thinking about it and I apologize for being more than a little bit um, scattered here um, I want to really praise the, the actor who I'm afraid of butchering his his last name um the 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 main character the, the actor who plays oj who was also in get out he was also in um black panther um when you daniel Kaluuya, yeah um he when you compare particularly his character in get out who was a very outgoing um friendly um engaging character to the character of oj who was a very withdrawn um very quiet, very stoic character. I mean, man, if I, I, I think it's very possible that if I did not know that the same actor played those two parts, I might not have even recognized him. Those, those two characters are so different uh, in physicality, um, in every way. I'm not sure I would have realized that was the same person playing those two parts. Um, yeah. I mean, damn, what an actor. He was, yeah. It, it's it's a wow. striking performance because they're going in knowing that automatically Peel's works are going to be compared to one another. So it's going to be hard to get him and get out out of your head entirely. And and it's not a subtle thing. It's not like he is uh, disappearing behind makeup or or other uh, tricks to disappear into. He it is all attitude and behavior and mm. and gait and how he holds himself they, they yeah. are so distinctly different people yeah i mean he's a he's a pretty big guy i mean he's a big and and just the way he just disappeared on that movie set i mean he was just not there you know he he, yeah. he it was it was very impressive and when um when uh, Kiki Palmer as his sister showed up on the movie set and started into her rapid paced loud engaging patter I mean he might as well have not been there and for somebody that large to just vanish is really remarkable that large and someone who is by his nature going to have some charisma to him he's a movie star like yeah. it, it, the, you're, it's always striking when a movie star is able to be on film and specifically unmesmerizing like that mm -hmm. has to be such a po like positive seems like the wrong, but it's such a, a deliberate thing yeah. that he has to do and to pull it off convincingly where mm -hmm. it doesn't feel showy is uh, really, really impressive. Exactly. I think it's very interesting with, him, Kiki Palmer, and then uh, 
Keith David, who plays their dad, that both yes. of them are different halves of the same coin. Because I can see Keith David, because, you know, it's Keith David, being that, you know, presence on set and being loud and boisterous and engaging like Emmy was. And then you have the children that just can't be both. You know what I mean? Like that just for, you know, reasons, they just cannot, they are not both. That he That's is a just- really fantastic point. You're exactly right. I could, I could see like if you took Keith David and divided him right down the middle, you could see OJ and Emmy. Yeah. Being- which that nickel, which that nickel tried to do. No. Oh, oh. Thank you for saying that. I have got to brag on those radiographs of of that nickel. Those were perfect. Those were amazing radiographs because that is exactly what a nickel would look like on a radiograph. I was sitting there, those radiographs popped up on screen and I went, oh, because they were perfect. They were perfect. Those were, (laughs) they were great. It was accurate. In the early goings of the film, I was like hyper aware of that because like you wanted to get into the symbology and that sort of stuff. Like I saw, ah, Jefferson's on the nickel. I see what Jordan Peele's doing. (laughs) And and then I was like, then eventually I'm just so into the movie that like, ah, I don't know if they, I don't don't think it matters. I don't know if it matters. I I just want to see the parachute monster again. (laughs) I don't want to see I don't want to see inside the parachute monster because that was one of the most upsetting things I've seen on film in a very long time. Good on you, Jordan Peele. Oh man. <laughs> so yeah. Let's 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 talk about the parachute monster because oh man. So that opening scene, I'm like, okay, what are we seeing? Like, what is this? What is the point of this? I know there's going to be a point, yeah. but then when yeah. that payoff happens. That is one of the most terrifying and claustrophobic scenes I right. have ex- ever experienced in a very long time. And there was, oh man. So I remember when the first trailer dropped and even a teaser spot that someone had made a comment, oh, we've already seen the alien. Like we've seen the alien, you know, they, they've really, they fucked up. Like, and I kind of remember the thing in the barn you know, kind of from the trailer. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, they really did. Oh, well, it's Jordan Peele, you had a good run about keeping secrets, you know, but in that scene, you talk about the stuff in the barn. I find it interesting that the body of the alien that his his kids are uh, in the, their, their dance costumes is the body of, is like furry like a chimp. Like it has, it's, I found that so fascinating, but that scene terrified me. And then when it's, you have the relief, it's like, oh, it's just kids pranking on. It's like, oh, okay. But man, I'm like, I was crawling out of my seat when just it's yeah. following OJ. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, the other scene that people thought, and we'll mm-hmm. get, we'll, we'll be diving deep more into this, but the other scene people thought was one of the aliens was uh, his former co-star because you see her yeah. in the trailer. And you're like, okay, which something fucks up, something fucked up's going on there. Yeah. yeah. Because honestly, when I saw the trailer, my thought was, okay, this alien creature is turning turning 
horses into humans. That was my my thought from the first time I saw the trailer and seeing her. And then, you know, you see the merchandise. You're like, I was like, oh, this is really, this is what we're, okay, that's weird, but all right. And that's not what it is at all. <laughs> and yeah. I, and and then when when it picks up all those people, the scene like when you're in the guts of the thing and they're all being digested, that was the scene where I was crawling out of my chair, like ah ah God, we're watching them all die, and uh, and you that hear scene, them. oh my God. yeah yeah it yeah one of the most horrifying things I've seen on film in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do find it interesting with this film. And sorry, this is the other little thing that I read about it was that he wrote, Jordan Peele wrote this during the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was and pretty, you can tell it's definitely early days because that's when they weren't sure people were going to come back to the movies. And so he wanted right. to make a spectacle, something that would get people back into the movies. And I think that's why it does have that Jaws feel like, especially Mm -hmm. that final act it's like i mean you can you i think mac you said it best land quint (laughs) brought a hand camera and yeah like yeah he's land quint angel is hooper then you've got the siblings that are that are roy like and it's just yeah Yeah. it's it's the best uh jaws ripoff ever oh definitely yeah i mean yeah yeah yeah, just, it's it, it, it fuses Close Encounters and Jaws together. What if? Yeah, yeah. So the reason I'm acting very enthusiastic by that is that last night before we were, Billy and I were just sitting around watching something else and he had made the comment. He's like, you know, I haven't seen Close Encounters, but I also feel like Nope really marries Close Encounters and Jaws like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm the same way. I, I, it's one of the few Spielberg films I haven't seen, and so the fact that you said that too, I'm like, oh yeah, what? I haven't. No, I- stop. We, uh, we got to stop. <laughs> Sorry, Billy. Sorry, you just. We got to stop. Go watch this film. <laughs> Holy fuck! <laughs> you don't, you don't get the significance of Richard Dreyfus playing with mashed potatoes. Oh my god. I do because I've seen <sighs> I've seen it parody. A parody. I die. <laughs> oh no, I've broken them both. <sighs> they are I might go watch it today after this conversation. Just <laughs> just for the record. <sighs> did you see guys see that Jaws is actually going to be playing in IMAX in, in early September? I, I did. did. And yeah. and E.T. is going to be coming out. I think that's a little later in the fall, but yes, yeah, yeah. I, I would watch both of those from him, especially if Spielberg's involved in the uh, the print or, or uh, the, the projection of it, because uh, sometimes those uh, revival movies can be a little dodgy. Like, I think yeah. I'm done with Fathom for a while. I don't <laughs> want to name any names, but we're <laughs> looking at you, Fathom. Yeah, it was you that retweeted the thing about don't don't believe fathom with dr right. no coming to the big back to the big screen <laughs> apparently it's like a standard definition cable box like it, it, forgive the expression but bitch i could see that at home <laughs> donna do you want to want to take us to your vet corner you said you wanted to discuss animal behaviors off mic yeah um well i mean kind of both themes and animal behaviors. This movie hits 
a lot on um, kind of what a bad idea it is to to take animals and put them in unfamiliar environments. So one thing it doesn't do is hit on how this creature got to Earth. It never hits on that. It also doesn't... Or or if it's not, if it's even from somewhere else. It could be a a, a previously unknown Earth creature. Yeah. A good point. One thing I will say, um, you know, I've got, you know, we talked about me being a veterinarian, but my undergraduate degree is in zoology. So here's a thing I will tell you. Um, One of the earliest forms of animals, one of the more, well, I hate to say primitive, but that's the word we use. One of the more primitive forms of animals is jellyfish. Jellyfish don't have a mouth and an anus. They have one opening so they take in food and then after they digest it they use the same exit they use the same opening and so anything they can't digest goes out the same opening so based on that i tend to think that this creature is a pretty primitive form apparently it takes stuff it can't digest and puts it out the same opening it came in um so I don't think it actually, I, I don't know, I could be wrong. Um, generally speaking, predators tend to be more intelligent because they have to be more intelligent than the thing they're hunting, generally. Um, but I'm sorry, I, I went off on a tangent there. So, but what we see is several occasions where a animal um, behaves badly because it's not being respected. Okay, it's it's normal behavior is not being respected. So we see Gordy, um, or one of the chimps that plays Gordy, go on a rampage because um, it uh, uh, because a, a balloon blows up off screen. Now the the um, the actress getting her face ripped off was a reference to an actual incident that happened. Uh, this was, I don't know, some years ago, um, a woman had a pet chimpanzee and the chimp just went nuts and ripped her friend's face off, literally ripped her face off. So it's a literal thing that happened. And that woman ended up getting a face transplant because that was how severe the damage was. Um, so that's a thing that actually happened. Um, and then, of course, we see the horse at the beginning of the movie, Lucky, Um and in this case, OJ was actually warning people, don't stand behind the horse. And that's, that is just standard horse etiquette. You don't stand behind the horse. You just don't do it. Um, and also, you know, don't startle the horse. You don't want to stand right in front of a horse because they can't see right in front of them. Um, and, you know, he's telling people how to treat the horse and they don't respect that. They don't respect ways to treat a horse and because they don't the horse ends up lashing out so in in each case the proper ways to treat an animal is not respected and unfortunate consequences result then we have the predator and you do the one thing you never want to do with a predator which is feed it and so ricky somehow or another establishes relationship where he was feeding it we was feeding the alien and then that got disrupted and the alien got upset and started going a little nuts. And um, so once again, um, we were treating the creature inappropriately and um, 
which is don't just don't don't treat don't feed predators don't don't feed the lions don't feed the wolves don't feed the coyotes and um just don't do it because it will go badly um you don't you don't want predators becoming used to people because then bad things happen <laughs> so there that was my my little speech don't feed predators and respect animals respect them i'm done all right. Chips will points. rip your face off. They're they're like twenty times stronger than you are. They will they will hurt you if you treat them inappropriately. That's the other shot that had me crawling out of my chair was uh, oh, Gordy God. coming coming toward uh, Ricky hiding under the table just before he gets his brains blown out. I I, I was like, oh God, that chip. Ah! Ah! Well. That whole, because, you know, you saw that shot at the beginning, that shot at the beginning when you're sitting there going, oh, this is what's going on. I don't understand yeah. what's going on, but I don't like it. But then when you see it from his flashback and you realize that all of that you're seeing is from this poor, terrified, helpless child. And I would like to point out that there were at least two adults in close proximity to those two kids who did nothing to help those kids. That's the part that really gets me. Well, there were at least two adults in close proximity, not to mention a whole group of adults close by and an animal trainer. Sorry. And the, <laughs> the two adults closest to them were, were presumably professional actors trapped on a child sitcom. So they were welcoming death. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, neither one of the adults thought to grab a kid when they ran. Uh, but yeah, when the chimps turned and made eye contact with the camera and you suddenly realized, yeah. oh no, the kid, the chimp turned and made eye contact with Ricky. And then Ricky managed to, you know, establish a friendly relationship with the chimp. And then the chimp got his brains blown out. That whole scene was, oh, holy fuck. Yeah. Now talking about the adult actors though, one of them did run to get something and Gordy killed him like the mm -hmm. dad because you saw that hawaiian shirt he ran you knew he ran off but he comes back trying to distract gordy or do something with gordy i keep calling him gordy <laughs> but, that's fine i mean uh, they were and, calling him gordy so. yeah but something happens that whatever he was trying to do didn't work now he came back i mean i don't i can't he did but my my actual point is that in that scene that we're seeing ricky's flashback um it's apparently been some time i don't know crises there's this whole time time dilation effect so i'm going to say it's been 30 seconds to, to five minutes it's been somewhere in that range of time um the actress who plays the mom is long gone who knows where she is the actress the actor that plays the dad has had time to run off the set and come back there's no evidence that either one of those actors made an effort to grab a child when they ran. That that's my point is is yeah. okay. when they ran, they should have grabbed a child. Okay, and it does not appear that they did so. I mean, because it, the, remembering the staging of that scene, I think the mother was sitting right next to R Ricky. Like if she bolted, she could have she could have grabbed him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's. There was no shot of what happened the instant Gordy went nuts. But just based on the language of film, there was no evidence that there was any effort made to save the kids. 
And I'm judgy about that. And again, it brings me back to capitalism and the way we use child actors. Um, I will say, like I said, I have avoided reading reviews, but I have seen a lot of headlines and a couple of the headlines have been not very flattering. And here is the thing, of the three Peel movies I've seen, I have noticed that over time, you figure things out. These, These are thinker movies. And a lot of times you walk out going, I liked it, but I don't think I got all of it. And then, you know, like a week later, you suddenly go, oh my God, those were antlers. And a common insult for young black men is Buck. And he used antlers to fight off Bradley Whitford. He used Buck antlers to fight off Bradley Whitford. It's fucking genius. You know, so it's, um, you know, so Jordan Peele is a fucking genius. And so you 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 start figuring things out down the road and on subsequent viewings. And so I, I tend to think that people who were so quick to post negative reviews, I don't know. I think also posting negative reviews, I think, are, are mired in, is it as good as us or get out? And, and I would say a fair assessment is it may be the bronze medal of his three movies. Well, that that's my quick mini poll is how yeah. do you rate these three movies? I would say, honestly, my enjoyment factor, I would go get out, nope, then us. And I, I've, and that's not anything against us because I love us. Yeah, I, all three of them are great. Yeah, yeah. like I, I, you know, I will say, and and all three of them, I've thought about days after, like just different things. Mm-hmm. Um, same with this one, I've been thinking about it since we walked out the theater. Just, diff- I will have it. It hasn't left my my thoughts. It's different feels. And different and mm-hmm. you know but i still think probably get out to my favorite and i could probably and i'll probably flip-flop between these other two um i i think us is number one it was easily my favorite movie of 2019 i saw it three or four times in the theater and i'm not a guy who goes and sees movies that many times in the theater like uh and i but i think then get out and i think this one and i think we'll get into it in the poll reasons my reservations about the movie i think Kenzie, you hit a, hit the nail on the head. I mean, there there are so few movies that engender thought afterward or discussion afterward, or you know, even if some of the directions are sort of dead ends, you want to kind of follow those dead ends to their dead end. I, I saw a tweet uh, some tour of the weekend saying, "Oh gosh, I'm already so tired of everyone's takes on Nope, and I haven't even seen the movie yet." And I'm like, "That's a bullshit." attitude to have about it because i right. I, I yeah isn't it great that we have a, a full spectrum of takes on the movie bad good bad faith good faith whatever it means that the movie is striking a chord yes on some level and uh there are so many movies that aren't i mean the most recent new release we saw, uh, no, I, I, Black Phone was fine. I don't want, I don't want to drag Black Phone. Firestarter, right? I haven't. I had to think for thirty seconds to come up with Firestarter in this conversation. That's how much Firestarter meant little to me. Right, right, and I think that's yeah. It's it's there's a discussion. There's people people have opinions. I mean, granted, it's sometimes it's the internet. Everybody has opinions, but there's I, right. like you said, a healthy discourse on why and i yeah i think that's that's good and also at the same time not to 
oh gosh, this is such a bad pun. Not to beat a dead horse, but it's a uh, spectacle. So <laughs> I uh, I actually, I'm the same with Kinsey. I rank Get Out. Man, Get Out had an emotional impact on me that can still, I can still think of those those lights hitting, those police lights hitting his face and still my heart will stop for a second. Um, but then I would rank this again above us. Um, but I think of the three, I get us less. But maybe I just need to sit down and have a Jordan Peele movie-thon one of these days. Um, before we move on, I, I need to tell you about a conversation I had on Twitter last night with um, one of our favorite polter guests, Cass Clark from Horror Hangover, a friend of the podcast. We, we, we adore them. Um, somebody had made one of those, I'm so sorry, I'm so tired of these takes. Somebody had made- I, th I, I think it was Cass's reaction to it that made that tweet show up on my feed. So it may be the same tweet we're talking about. Yeah, somebody had point out, pointed out that uh, um, OJ was wearing an orange hoodie and that there was a bold choice to put a black man in an orange hoodie before of an action part, because that's a color that black men are usually seen when they're in prison, seen wearing when and they're in prison. And a hoodie has been an issue before, too. And a hoodie has been an issue as well. And Cass commented that that's actually quite an Easter egg. And um, yeah. I messaged Cass and said, OK, what's the Easter egg? Because, you know, I, I, I've watched the movie. I know that that's actually a, a cr supposed to be a crew sweatshirt from the Scorpion King. If it's more than that, please tell me what it is. And Cass said, um, it's the same brand and color that the actual crew on that film wore. So it's an accurate cast hoodie for the Scorpion King. They say that exact model is hard to find a clear source, but it's an official movie sweatshirt. So it suggested that he worked on the film. Well, his character did, because it's also a film with tons of horses. So it's it's an accurate um, yeah. sweatshirt from the Scorpion King. So it's an accurate crew sweatshirt. So that's that's the Easter egg that 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 not only is that a crew sweatshirt for the Scorpion King, but it's an accurate crew sweatshirt yeah. for the Scorpion King. It was a universal movie, so I can see where they might be able to find one. But yeah, so I just wanted to uh, uh, credit friend of the pod, uh, Cass Clark, for that um, from Horror Hangover for for that little bit of information. <laughs> I, I recorded a guest shot on Horror Hangover in February, and I think it may be airing sometime this month or next month, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we'll they were they were trying to stockpile ahead of yeah. Um, Tiny, tiny friend of Horror Hangover podcast arrival in the world. Yeah. All right. So we ready for in-game stuff? Yes. Let's in-game this thing. All right. Well, Mac, you have our quote, which there was a lot of good ones in this. I, I really like Fuck CW only because anyone that's watched CW shows, especially their superhero shows, you have said that exact sentence. So, <laughs> but... This one is really good. Yeah. Uh, it's from uh, Antlers Holst, great character name, played by uh, Michael Wincott, who I didn't realize until about an hour or two ago was the guy who played Guy of Gisborne in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And I was like, oh, it's that guy. And also, anyway. um, Rochefort, for, curse my French pronunciation, in Disney's Three Musketeers. Uh, top dollar in the crow. 
Elgin in Age Aliens yeah. Resurrection, and Dorliac yeah. in The Count of Monte Cristo. Okay, that's where I okay. know him. This is is yeah. Alien Resurrection. All right, because I've seen Robin Hood Prince at these, and I was like, okay, but yeah, that's where I know him. All right. Yeah. Uh this dream you're chasing, where you end up at the top of the mountain, it's the one you never wake up from. Oh, and also. Speaking of predators, he was watching film after film after film of predators, and not just predators, but predators fighting other predators. A snake attacking a tiger, um, an octopus fighting uh, a crab. It was significant because mm-hmm. predators. Predators, man. Predators. Predators. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mac, you have our rule. Don't look up. Would have saved everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it saved the... It saved, saved OJ. Yeah, it saved OJ. It saved it saved Emmy. It saved Angel. Yeah. Like I, I thought of um, offering a couple of really specific rules, like don't feed a plastic horse to the predator, and don't leave that your That helps. Safe, yeah. And, and don't leave your safe little glass box. But those seemed very specific and, you know, not really helpful to the general populace. But no. And yep. our hat trick winner this week, Mac, has... 110%. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did the chimpanzee have anything to do with anything? I'm going to start now, and I will say this. This is, I think this is, I think you need this to see character motivation for for Steven Yeun's character, which I can, uh, Jupe, I think you need Ricky. this yeah. uh, for for Ricky. Because when he's remembering the Gordy flashback scene, it's not, he's not terrified. Like if you look at his face, it is a, it's a pleasant memory. And I think he feels, I tamed it. Yeah, no, he's like this. He's like, like, it doesn't look, he doesn't look scared when he's remembering it to me. He looks like a little bit of nostalgia. I don't know, you know, just there's something, it's not, it's not childhood trauma because he feels like I have, I'm, I am special and I have a way with predators. I can, this is no different. That also, is he what, was never more famous than in that moment. Yeah. I, that too. Deeply and, disagree. Okay. But that's what I, that's what I think it's, you need it because it's character motivation that he feels he can, he is special and he can also survive. <laughs> The counter to that is he doesn't realize the saucer is a predator until it's really too late. He thinks I'm showing these people, I'm I'm Spielberging out. I'm going to show these people a legit fi- flying saucer. He has no idea that it, it its mouth is its anus is its engine is its everything. Um, so that's where I say plot wise, it doesn't play with the rest of the movie. Um, because it does, it, it, it gives him some backstory, but it does not give his role in the larger story any kind of dimension for me. Okay. Um, I think, I think he has never escaped that moment. I think that is a moment that he is stuck in. I think that's why he's got that little room. I think that's why he's collected that memorabilia. I mean, he is fixated on that shoe. And by the way, why that shoe is standing up 
is a question that I am obsessed with. There's no reason that shoe should be standing straight up on its heel, but that's a question that is not answered. Um, but he is fixated on that shoe. He is stuck in that moment. I think he needs intense therapy. That is a look of um, flashback and dissociation. I don't think that's a happy memory at all. Okay. I think that is a um, that is intense childhood trauma. I think that is PTSD. That's my take on it. And by the way, little little mini happy moment. I really love that I can say that to you and not be having a, a an intense moment of panic. So it is nice, isn't it? It is. Hey, fantastic. I like healthy discourse. Yeah. But I think that is the genius of Peel is that we can take that one shot and the three of us see three different things mm-hmm. like and I and I love that because I you know granted I haven't heard Max answer on <laughs> you pose this poll question and so do you feel differently the same that it still doesn't hold any I want to hear Donna's answer first okay. because I I think I have a yes on one hand no on the okay. other okay. but Donna's answer may sway me. The answer to the actual question Mac asked, which is what is Gordy's significance to everything? Uh, Gordy is deeply significant to Ricky. I mean, that moment with Gordy was Ricky's like defining moment. That is like, like you said, it was, that was the most famous he's ever going to be. It's something that, that he, you know, he uses that moment to make the big bucks. He makes more money from that room that he makes with his entire little theme park there. But it also, I think it's why he felt okay about trying to forge a bond with this alien because he didn't have a healthy relationship with this other animal. And so he didn't realize that he didn't have a healthy relationship with this alien. Um, So it's what caused him to not realize that what he was doing was dangerous. So did Gordy have a significance to the plot only as a motivating factor to Ricky is, is it, that is, that is what Gordy's significance to the plot is, is simply as a character development and a motivation to Ricky and then Ricky's influence to the plot is bringing the alien, the predator to the movie. Okay. I don't know if I agree 110%. Um, <laughs> I would say the, the missing piece of that is I don't get the sense that Ricky really knows what the saucer is or even has an inkling of what the saucer is up to the point it is eating him. Mm-hmm. So the motivation of his, his attitude toward predators and his sense of his own ability to survive things doesn't come into play until it's too late. So it doesn't work as motivation for that part of the plot. It it, it seems all prologue to me. It works thematically because Gordy is another story of a predator disrespected and that sort of thing. It all, you know, in, in a... Uh, in a color palette of emotions fits with the rest of the movie. But I, I honestly think it is, it is two different movies operating in one movie. And that's where my one reservation with the whole movie is. I think the plot of this thing doesn't hang together as well as us. And even us had some, some weird stretches there. 
or Get Out. Get Out was Peel's most tightly plotted film, um, but it ends up being number two or number three. I, I got to see Nope a couple more times before I really settle on my ranking. Uh, so, yes, it thematically fits in the movie. Plot-wise, no, it doesn't. And I think that is the big flaw of the movie. And I think that's what a lot of people are responding to in their takes on the movie. But, you know, I, at, at the end at the end of the day, I don't care that the plot is uneven. The movie's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Oh, all right. Do we have anything else on Nope? Nope. Nope. Uh, I'm going to go first this week on my happy place, which, um, as most of y'all know, San Diego Comic-Con's going on right now, and they just dropped a new trailer for She-Hulk, and it looks fucking adorable and a delight, and I'm very excited for She-Hulk. So, yeah, that is my uh, my my happy thought. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and plus, uh, it's Top Moss, just getting to be Top Moss, and I'm here for all of that. The fact that she exists in the world could be my happy place it's not go ahead mac i i, I there's there's definitely comic-con uh, happiness to be to be found uh there was a new trailer for the new season of uh, lower decks where the cerritos will be visiting deep space nine which uh you know got my dopamine going horde uh but the other one was the new trailer for picard season three with full looks of the old tng cast in their return uh, old man wharf looks great but this is not my happy place this is just yes anding kenzie <laughs> my real happy place is going to be real weird so uh i have a particularly strange sort of self-soothing behavior and i've been doing it a lot lately and before you get too worried old episodes of siskel and ebert on youtube i will watch seven to 12 of them a day just playing on in the background and it is it it is a delight sometimes i'm right there with them sometimes they didn't like gremlins 2 and i want to i I curse that they're already dead that i cannot bring their end uh for them directly but yeah there's a, a youtube channel that old tv that releases a new slightly remastered uh episode of the of those shows every day and it is uh it is the closest i've come to actually donating to a patreon in my life okay right. so so i have spent the last 7 weeks it will be 8 weeks when this releases with teaching a dual credit class. I think I've probably already said this. I don't know. A dual credit class with about 30, 15, 16 year olds. And I just want to say Gen Z is my happy place right now. Um, They are going to save the world. They are amazing. Um, They are fierce. I just adore these kids. They became politically aware under the regime of the orange Twitter man. They spent some of their formative years in lockdown. Some of them lost their parents and other loved ones under this pandemic and, you know, have just had to keep going. They've watched our country just split itself right down the middle and people keep acting like this is fucking normal. And yet these young people have remained kind and inclusive and these kids these wonderful wonderful kids are going to be of age to vote before the next election and it makes me so fucking happy it's a good happy place 
They are my happy place. Gen Z, save us. I like it, Donna. There you go. All right. Well, you can find us on social media. Uh, we're at, at Beyond Cabin for Twitter and Instagram and have a Facebook page. I am on Twitter and Instagram as at Callista77. Uh, you can find me at Dragon Goblin on Twitter and Instagram. There is no I in Goblin. I can be found on Twitter at Party Apocalypse. Uh, the website partyapocalypse.com hosts many fine podcasts, including this one. Uh, I'm also on Yay. The Holiday is Broken and Friendables, two friends talking about Hannibal Lecter. This is the fourth podcast I've recorded in less than 24 hours. So, uh, you know, it's it's fun. There's lots of fun stuff there, including books, blogs, movie reviews, and other podcasts that have completed their runs. So if you're hankering for macula goodness, partyapocalypse.com. The, the thing I say on most podcasts is, Mom, if you really want to hear from me, I'm on the internet radio <laughs> almost constantly. <laughs> As always, thank you to our editor, Billy, for putting us together and making us sound fantastic. We do appreciate it. Love you, Billy. Like you as a friend, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Feel very warmly towards you, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for listening everyone we do appreciate it if you feel so inclined please rate and review us and don't feed the bears or read the latin you know what horror is <laughs> <laughs>